A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrtnach, and I'm still reading like a censor. I'm on Twitter at CensoredPod if you want to get in touch, and this season's book list is on the website censored.ie. I often try to imagine what sort of people the censors really were. I wonder whether they read all the books they banned. When they were banning 40 books a month in the 1950s, I doubt they read them all. Who has time for that? But if they did read the book, did they read past the first bannable offence? I imagine two types of censor. The first is easily shocked, prone to fits of the vapours and permanently outraged. He loves being right about dirty books. The second censor is also appalled at loose morality in literature, but he reads the whole book because he's dead nosy or horny. He probably doesn't even confess his impure thoughts because it's all for the greater good. The second censor definitely had more fun at work. Hopefully this episode will get into some serious smut with a book by Aeneas Nin called A Spy in the House of Love. It was published in 1954 as part of a five-book series called Cities of the Interior. All of the books are part of a continuous novel and this episode's book is number four. I'm probably mangling her plans for great art by reading just one book out of order, but tough shit. Apparently, these novels are heavily autobiographical and drawn from her diaries, which she kept from the age of 11 till her death. Those diaries have been published, revealing that she was abused by her father when she was aged nine. She then went on to have a consensual sexual relationship with him when she was an adult. She lived the sort of life that I cannot do justice to in a short summary. Here are some of the highlights. She was a bigamist. She shagged any number of famous authors and set herself up as a psychoanalyst who had sex with her own patients. She lived a fucking wild life. Nin is really famous for her erotica, which she published in the 1970s. She wrote those dirty stories for cash in the 1940s, for a collector who paid by the page. I don't know if those books were banned, because the research libraries are still closed and I can't find out. But I think it's pretty likely. 
Jackie Collins was censored in the 1970s, so I doubt full-on erotica like Nin's was permitted. Sadly for me, there is no food or drink mentioned at all in this book. The atmosphere of the novel is quite dreamlike, and boring sensory inputs like taste and smell don't feature. I'll admit right now, straight up, that I found this book baffling. It's not the type of book you can have a drink or a cup of tea alongside you as you read. It's the sort of book where I needed to go for a walk after finishing it. I can imagine the censor was deeply offended by this novel, because it's full of sex, and pretty angsty, occasionally weird sex at that. Now, it does take a while for the bannable content to appear. The novel opens with a woman called Sabina phoning a number at random, and it's answered by a figure called the lie detector. At first, I thought this would be a dystopian novel about surveillance, but this lie detector figure vanishes pretty quickly. Then Sabina, who's hectic, frantic and a bit paranoid, returns to her husband, Alan, after an absence. Through Sabina's internal dialogue, it emerges that she has been cheating on her husband with someone else, that she pretended to be travelling for work in order to meet her lover. And I'll read a bit to you here. Sorry, I still don't have page numbers, because until the libraries are open again properly, I have to use e-books. And this is from chapter one, where her infidelity is revealed. Alan says my eyes are beautiful, but I cannot see them. To me, they are lying eyes. My mouth lies. Only a few hours ago, it was kissed by another. He is kissing the mouth kissed by another. He is kissing eyes which adored another. Shame, shame, shame. The lies, the lies. The clothes he is hanging up for me with such care were caressed and crushed by another. The other was so impatient he crushed and tore at my dress. I had no time to undress. It is this dress he is hanging up lovingly. Can I forget yesterday, forget the vertigo, this wildness? Can I come home and stay home? Well, that's unequivocal. She was definitely banned for that. To the Irish censor, infidelity is unacceptable. Throughout the book, Sabina cheats on Alan, flagrantly and desperately, then gets confused over whether it's what she really wants. She is determined to shag whoever she wants, but at the same time is permanently anxious that her relationship with Alan will be damaged. So far, so boring. I find this type of self-flagellation really dull. I don't think I'm the imagined reader Nin had in mind. If you're impatient or blunt, this book will be a frustrating read for you. And not in a sexual way either. Anyway, her husband is the nice guy. Safe, quiet, honest and dependable. Even in bed he's boring. She writes about sex with Alan like this. In moments of desire even, he did not have the wildness of the eyes, disordered hair of others. He would never grow almost delirious with pleasure or utter sounds not quite human from the jungle of man's earlier animalism. Animal sounds during sex? That's a daring image. Not only does she imply sex here, but she evokes its messy physicality. These lines would definitely have been classed as indecent or obscene by the censor. 
Poor Alan, though. He seems so ordinary, but that's hardly his fault. Their marriage is not to Sabina's tastes, as it's not windswept or interesting enough. Then Sabina reflects on her sexual adventures before she returned home to Alan, giving you a sense of her ideals. Okay, honestly, I will struggle to tell you this without laughing too much. She met a German opera singer while she sunbathed nude on the beach. And how did she know he was an opera singer? Because he was singing Tristram and Isolde as he walked on the strand. I mean, anything is possible, right? And guess what? He is young and very beautiful. And after some over-analysis of her thoughts and feelings, she decides to go to dinner with him. And here's the sex bit between Sabina and the German opera singer called Philip. Brace yourselves, it's a bit long-winded. They fled from the eyes of the world, the singer's prophetic, harsh, ovarian prologues. Down the rusty bars of ladders to the undergrounds of the night, propitious to the first man and woman at the beginning of the world. Where there are no words by which to possess each other, no music for serenades, no presents to court with, no tournaments to impress and forcey yielding, no secondary instruments, no adornments, necklaces, crowns to subdue, but only one ritual, a joyous, joyous, joyous impaling of woman on a man's sensual mast. Oh my God, that is something else. And it gets even better or worse, depending on your point of view. The mast metaphor ends the paragraph. And this is the next line of the next paragraph. She reopened her eyes to find herself lying at the bottom of a sailboat, lying over Philip's coat, gallantly protecting her from sediments, water seepage and barnacles. Did the boat have a mast too? Is that where the terrible metaphor came from? I did not expect to find reading the rude bits of banned books so ridiculous. If this is supposed to be sexy, I want my money back. And then it seems that the sex was unsatisfactory. She is left, quote, unfulfilled, stranded, unquote. Turns out she needed more than a mast to get off. Okay, I'll struggle on manfully. And it is all about manliness. Nin is exploring gendered behaviours around sex. Sabina wants, and this is a quote, to be like a man, free to possess and desire an adventure, to enjoy a stranger. Unquote. The whole book is about Sabina's personal struggle with the idea and reality of casual sex. What could be more disturbing to an Irish censor in the 1950s than that? This book recounts one woman's interior conversation about sex, desire, emotional attachment, pride and love. I suspect the ideas were beyond indecent to the censors, even if the actual sex in the book is hardly even obscene. Most of it is dressed up in too many words, so many illusions that you lose track of what is happening. It's as far removed from the mechanics of sex as it is possible to be while still talking about it. This is sex in the head, with the body as secondary. 
Weirdly, Sabina decides to sleep with the Philip opera singer dude again. For someone who's looking for casual sex, she insists on sleeping with the same man more than once throughout the book. Luckily, her gamble pays off and she has a great time the second time round. This is her description of orgasm with the opera singer. And then it happened like a miracle, this pulsation of pleasure unequalled by the most exalted musicians, the summits of perfection in art or science or wars, unequalled by the most regal beauties of nature, this pleasure which transformed the body into a high tower of fireworks, gradually exploding into fountains of delight through the senses. She opened her eyes to contemplate the piercing joy of her liberation. She was free, free as a man was, to enjoy without love. Like a miracle? It's never good if an orgasm is a miracle. I don't know what to say. Is it that Sabina has only had orgasm with men she loves? That sounds crazy. And I think she's being unfair to both men and women. She's buying into the worst gender stereotypes, that women can only experience good sex through their emotions and men choose to enjoy it as a physical act without emotional connection. This is the problem with the semi-autobiographical work, though. I spend a lot of time shouting at books saying, it's not all about you, you know. Other people do have different experiences. And the character that Nin has created, Sabina, is just too self-absorbed to see that. So pretty early on, she has achieved her aim of emotionless casual sex. You're probably wondering what's left to discuss in the rest of the book. Well, that and extensions on that, because Sabina talks about her affairs with other men and sex over and over again. The different blokes allow Sabina to experience different versions of extramarital sex in a series of tableaus. Sexual partner number two is an African man called Mambo, who she eroticizes and others. She only fancies him because he's black, which he doesn't like, but he sleeps with her anyway. Remember that I said Sabina was self-absorbed. Using sex with other people to find yourself involves some seriously dodgy racial and gender politics. This is most obvious and most obviously offensive in the affair with Mambo. And just one short sentence out of the many, many long sentences illustrates what I mean. Quote, Sabina did not feel guilty for drinking of the tropics through Mambo's body, unquote. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's so much going on here. Suffice it to say, this bit is not great and doesn't read well in the context of contemporary racial debates. There's guilt and shame aplenty swirling around all her affairs, though, and even her marriage. The narrative oscillates between joy at sexual satisfaction and remorse and fear of discovery. So we move on to shag number three. Sabina returns to the beach and picks up another bloke called John. He's an ex-airman tortured by his experiences in war and he shares grim war stories with her. Weirdly, this turns her on, so she shags him in a boarding house. I'm going to read you this bit because it's hilarious. A teasing, warm, trembling, elusive short circuit of the senses as mobile and restless as he had been all day and here at night, with the street lamp revealing their nudity but not his eyes. She was roused to an almost unbearable expectation of pleasure. He had made of her body a bush of roses of Sharon, exfoliating pollen, each prepared for delight. So long delayed, so long teased, that when possession came, it avenged the waiting by a long, prolonged, deep, thrusting ecstasy. So after this height of pleasure has been achieved, Nin has to make sure she spoils it with angst. And this is where it goes completely off the rails, in my opinion. Sabina feels that this is her body after sex. I mean, this is the weirdest postcoital description I've ever read. A body in which he had injected the poison, which was killing him. The madness of hunger, guilt and death by proxy which tormented him. He had injected into her own body his own venomous guilt for living and desiring. He had mingled poison with every drop of pleasure, a drop of poison in every kiss, every thrust of sensual pleasure, the thrust of a knife, killing what he desired, killing with guilt. I swear to God, if I have to read about the magic cock once more, I'll scream. Long-time listeners will know that the magic cock appeared in series one. I came across it the first time in the Forever Amber episode. But in the other books I've read so far, the magic cock was life-giving and transformative. Unlikely, admittedly, but at least a positive force. Here, Nin takes the magic cock trope and makes it a death-dealing, toxic member. Sabina is doomed because John shagged her. Grade A bullshit here. She never resolves whatever weird shit this was with John... There is no antidote to cock poison, so she moves on to Donald. 
Donald has mammy issues, which Sabina decides to resolve by morphing into a mother figure. And lads, I'm sorry to say this is getting worse. Here's a bit about her mothering of this man. Her breasts were no longer tipped with fire. They were the breasts of the mother from which flowed nourishment. She deserted her other lovers to fulfil Donald's needs. She felt, I am a woman. I am warm, tender and nourishing. I am fecund and I am good. It's just torturous, isn't it? I mean, she's making a point about relationships and how we often present facets of ourselves to intimate partners. Sometimes relationships change us into things we're not particularly comfortable with. And she's really amplifying this. But it's all a bit overwrought. You won't be surprised to hear that Sabina herself has daddy issues. Her father was a serial philanderer, which her mother bore stoically. Sabina idealised her glorious, handsome, carefree father and tried to emulate his sexual conquests. Needless to say, Nin had more than daddy issues. There's so much going on with someone who has a consensual sexual relationship with her father, who abused her when she was a child. So it's all very psychological and pretty tedious. There are so many words in each sentence, so many concepts, feelings, ideas explored in each paragraph. Sex is everywhere in the book, but it's either an idealised union of two souls or two people refusing to share a metaphysical truth in a moment of physical desire. And I just found it complicated, long and a bit annoying. The ending in particular confused me a lot. Remember the lie detector figure from the very beginning? He made me think of omnipotent surveillance, like from Orwell's 1984. But nothing came of him throughout the book. He just kind of vanished. Anyway, he reappears at the very end to stage an intervention. And now I'm not sure if he was a literal character or if he's supposed to be a manifestation of her conscience. I'm also not sure if Sabina experiences some epiphany or what this is because it's all too much for my simple mind to comprehend. I'm just not able for sentences like this. The identity of the human couple was not eternal but interchangeable. To protect this exchange of spirits, transmissions of character, all the fecundations of new selves being born and faithfulness only to the continuity, the extensions and expansions of love achieving their crystallizations into high moments and summits equal to the high moments and summits of art or religion. What the fuck does that even mean? I've read it a number of times and I still don't get it. Reading it aloud doesn't help me either. Even if I read the whole paragraph more than once, it makes no sense. And then the book stops with Sabina in a puddle on the floor. I suppose the tale continues in some fashion in the next book in the series, Seduction of the Minotaur. But I won't be reading it. Shouting, get over yourself, at a book, and throwing it against the wall won't do anything for my mental health. Now, I have been quite mean about this book, so I'd like to qualify it just a little bit. I think the self-absorption of Sabina, who's based on Nin herself, is inevitable in a semi-autographical book written from diaries. Her own complicated love life is reflected in the book, 
When she wrote A Spy in the House of Love, she was married to one man but carrying on a long-term affair with another. In 1955, she married her lover without divorcing husband number one. She lived a double life full of lies and evasions, with checkbooks in two different names, never telling her first husband about her second until just before her death. Some people just love drama. She would have adored the opportunities for multiple lives offered by social media and dating apps today. Hookup culture would have made her either very happy or very miserable, or possibly both at the same time, if this book is anything to go by. And the conflicted feelings about love and marriage in this book aren't unusual in literature of the 50s and 60s. I'm beginning to think that marriage was a very important theme for American writers at this time. Divorce is more freely available than ever, and this causes people to interrogate the idea of a happily ever after. The institution of marriage is really up for debate, as are the gender roles created by it. Nin is struggling with these concepts, just as the rest of American society is. But she also has a deep interest in psychoanalysis, hence explicit acknowledgements of mammy and daddy issues. And she was greatly influenced by her affair with Henry Miller. I've only read one of Miller's books. It's a sort of manifesto called The World of Sex. All I'll say is, oh my God, what a piece of narcissistic wank that was. So if her influences included Miller, it's no wonder she's a bit overwrought and self-absorbed. Nin is one of those people who's determined to overthink sex. And that's fine if you like that sort of thing. Unfortunately, her writing isn't easy to understand and there really isn't an intelligible plot. But I would argue that this is more an exploration of ideas than characters and it's quite freestyle in the way that it reads. Interestingly, her diaries are now more famous than her novels, so maybe the source material for this book is better than the artistic version of it. To be honest, I would never have read beyond the joyous impaling on the sensual mast bit if it wasn't for this podcast. So yeah, I won't be recommending this. And it's with great relief that I turn to censorship bingo. Nin might be famous for her filthy erotica, but how rude was this novel? So, first square on the first line, breasts. Yes, she does mention breasts. But then most people do, so it's not particularly unusual. There's no bestiality. Sex work, there is a brief reference to sex work in her discussion with the traumatised ex-airman. Racism. Oh boy, yes. That whole objectification of Mambo the drummer and his black friends and musicians is something to behold. There are no drugs, no politics, swearing, infidelity. Obviously, the whole premise of the book is sleeping with people other than her husband, so it's just one big pile of infidelity. Crime. No genitalia. This is a difficult one. The sensual mast certainly qualifies as an unmistakable reference to a penis. And then there's the inverted magic cock trope. Also the word manhood appears once. So I think I'll check this box. Even if it's implied, 
it's skirting the edges of explicit, so I'll give it to her. There's no abortion, no orgies, no sexual assault, no extramarital pregnancy, no masturbation, sex toys, feminism, divorce, contraception, menstruation, no blasphemy, no oral sex, no graphic violence, no queer content. And that's it. A Spy in the House of Love achieves a score of just 5 out of 25 in censorship bingo. How could it be that low? That's pathetic. That's the same as Molly Keane from the last episode, and the same as many books from season 1. I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. I'll have to find out if the erotica was banned and read that. Now, if there were bonus points for multiple sexual encounters, Nin would score higher. After all, the whole book is about Sabina getting her hole. Sorry, how coarse of me. I should say long, prolonged, deep, thrusting ecstasy. Or even better, when the drug of caresses whirled them into space. Sure, you know yourself how it is. Anyway, that's enough Aeneas Nin for me. Next time, I'll be reading the Irish author J.P. Dunleavy. His book, The Ginger Man, was published in 1955 and banned the next year. That ban expired in 1968, when the legislation was changed. But The Ginger Man was censored again in 1969. It was so indecent it was banned twice. This is very promising. It's also famous for being banned. If you search Banned Books Ireland online, it's one of those listed. I don't know much about this book, to be honest. I've never read any of Dunleavy's work, so it's a first for me. And I've got a guest lined up to tell me why The Ginger Man was first published by a soft porn press in Paris. In the meantime, keep your hands clean and your thoughts filthy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.